0: It's time for JT the Brick.
1: I'm working for free today. Get the blank out of here. The tackles that are coming into this program have now got to, one of them's got to pop like Daryl Russell. One of them's got to pop. Who's it going to be? How long have we have been waiting for a young defensive tackle to come in here since Daryl Russell and go, I got this. Don't take me off the field. I'm a beast. JT the Brick. I'm on a roll. I want an elite superstar, 25-year-old linebacker who's going to play five years in a row. You're going to pay him a new contract, and he's just great. This place hasn't done that well, and now Dave Ziegler probably could do a much better job at that position, I would believe, because the Patriots had a lot of good linebackers. Play that rant again. I'll get the hell out of here. And now, here's JT the Brick. Welcome back. Hour number two of the show uh, brought to you by Meetup Vegas. Bobby reminded me that my meat... Was delivered to the studio today The chops, the hamburgers The chicken, meetupvegas.com Put JT in JT Brick when you check out And get the deal that I get Fantastic, can't tell you the last time I went to a butcher, went to a grocery store My wife to pick up meat Meetup Vegas, they just dropped off My monthly delivery And I can't wait to get the barbecue going again Greg Bedard will join us from Patriots Camp Coming up, really interested In this conversation And Orlando the big sports talk host in Miami, on the Dolphins as we get you to, to know these opponents as we go forward here. It's a very important time for the Raiders now. We're looking ahead to the opponents. The most important one is the Chargers. So the Chargers are coming up in week one, and we got to get into that, but we have all those guys in the rotation already. How much do we want to spend on the preseason? I think a lot on the Patriots, and then we move on to the Chargers and the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, Greg Bedard is one of the premier NFL insiders in the country, the executive director and founder of BostonSportsJournal.com, formerly of SI and the Boston Globe. And we've been talking for years. And, Greg, good to talk to you. Let's begin on the Deshaun Watson uh, overall decision, That it came down for 11 games and the $5 million fine. Was this something you predicted? Was this something in the wheelhouse that you expected? Uh,
2: Yeah, at the end of the day, I figured there would be settlement i figured that after the the ruling goodell would come out hard um as you know sort of you know just a stance and to look good to advertisers and the public and things like that and you know that'll be the lasting image him on the podium talking tough uh but at the end of the day did the nfl want to get into some sort of long protracted fight over um you know a few more games probably not and look (laughs) you know deshaun watson should um, you know, he should probably face criminal charges. He won't um, for for what he's done. But, you know, at the end of the day, he didn't play football last year either. I mean, it's in, at the end of the day, it's, a, it's basically a 27 game suspension. Yeah. I mean, the Texans did the NFL a, a solid by holding him out all of last year. So, I mean, the last time he played an NFL game, I looked it up, it was January 1st, 2021. And uh, so, you know, he's been out for a while. He will be out for a while. He's paid a price. Now, you know, hopefully there are very stringent conditions on, you know, his return and what he needs to do. And and we'll see what happens from here.
1: You covered Jimmy Garoppolo's career in New England, and he's been very successful leading the Niners to a Super Bowl. After he clears waivers, I, I would assume the Niners are going to cut him. They can't trade him for $24 million. Do you think Cleveland goes down that road and has him as a stopgap for 10 or 11 games here?
2: Uh, I think it depends on what kind of contracts um, that they end up with. I mean, I think, you know, other people might be interested in Garoppolo, including, you know, a team like, uh, you know, the Seahawks. Mm -hmm. So I think there will be some teams if Garoppolo ends up being released. I think there will be suitors for him. And, you know, does he see that as, a good situation for him, you know, holding the place for Deshaun Watson. I don't know. I think it would it would make much more sense if it was full season uh, suspension. But um, now I think that muddies the waters.
1: Greg Bedard is our guest. I've been reading all of your camp reports on the struggles of the Patriots offense. Before we get to that, I want to start with the fights with Carolina because I'm in Vegas, as you know, and the Patriots will be out here next week. How serious were those fights? What did they stem from knowing that that happens at camp from time to time? But this made a lot of national news. Uh, they were pretty
2: serious <laughs> fights. I mean, you know, I've been covering the NFL for 20 years, and I, you know, I haven't seen that many and that's significant in a, in a two day period. I think, you know, in my entire career covering the league, um, you know, I think it stemmed from at least the first day. I view it two separate sort of incidents. I think that the first day the Panthers kind of came in, they were mouthy. They were hitting after the tackle. They were hitting to the ground. And what you have to understand is the Patriots have basically been like a country club training camp so far. I mean, when they do practice, and that's not very often. I mean, the starters who were held out of Thursday's preseason game against the Giants, they had gone eight days. By the time the Panthers' practice came along, they had gone eight days without doing anything significant in pads, and which is highly unusual. And so, I think the Patriots were a little bit soft. I think that the Panthers came in a little chippy, looking to establish themselves. Not that you know the Patriots are you know, the mid-2000s Patriots or anything like that. But there's still a brand. There's still, still Bill Belichick over there. And the Panthers see themselves as someone trying to, to establish themselves in, as a football team and as a culture. And I think that they were a little mouthy, a little chippy. The Patriots finally had enough of it. Um, and that led to the first day. The second day was something entirely different. You know, Kenny Robinson of the Panthers, basically celebrating on top of a clearly concussed and knocked out Christian Wilkerson. It's just, you can't let that slide. That's not cool in any sort of setting, especially that one, uh, to be celebrating on a guy who's clearly compromised. And, um, you know, wouldn't you know it, next play, the Patriots throw a little shot at Christian McCaffrey. The Panthers knew it was coming. McCaffrey wheeled around through the ball. And there you go. So, you know, I, I, they're, they're two different circumstances to me um you know i think most of it had to do with the panthers just being a little chippy and a little mouthy Mm uh for the most part and wanting to establish themselves but you also have to look at the fact that you know you have to ask the question would this have gone on 10 years ago in new england with a veteran coaching staff and a veteran quarterback and you know guys who who know their positions it's completely different coaching staff now matt patricia on offense joe judge on offense you know a lot of people a lot of inexperienced people no Dante Scarnecchia, no Ivan Fears, no Josh McDaniels. You know, I do think there's a little bit of a lack of discipline that seeped into the Patriots last year and has only continued this year. So a whole combination of things, J.K.
1: Greg Bedard joins us, Patriots Insider. So let's stay with Josh McDaniels. How could you lose a coach at that value point with six super Bowl rings and not have a real strong plan in place especially when you're developing a young quarterback and these years are critical and josh did a pretty good job getting mac jones up to speed
2: these are the type of things that i think happen when you have a 70 year old NFL head coach who uh you know has different priorities now than he did when he was say you know 50. i think that Belichick, with each passing year, wants to be more and more comfortable in who plays for him, who he coaches, uh, how much he has to coach up the coaches. I mean, I think that uh, the Patriots had a couple of openings. Matt Patricia and Joe Judge were available. Look, they're good coaches in what they're tasked to do. And at the end of the day, Belichick thinks that he's going to figure it out. He usually does. Is that still the case With what's gone on here in the last three or four years, and with Belichick at 70, that's the million-dollar question.
1: Greg, that's all about loyalty. I mean, that's hardcore loyalty. Belichick's Mm going to go into Canton as the greatest coach of all time, most likely. And guys who leave him, some of them fail. Patricia and Judge, the recent examples. But he takes them right back, because I like that about loyalty here, but you should have an offensive whiz kid play caller. And, you know, McDaniels is really excited to work with Derek Carr, but working with Tom Brady and now working with Mac Jones is different. You would think that you'd have an expert, a quarterback coach or an offensive coordinator with some background, and there should be plenty of those names around the league available.
2: Yeah, you you would think. I mean,
3: that's
2: <laughs> certainly what I would do. And uh, But, you know, just take it from, let's just take it from Belichick's angle here for a second. I mean, Let's just say, probably the the most plug and play guy available, readily available to the Patriots, would be a guy like Adam Gase. He has he has some um, Mm -hmm. knowledge of the Patriots system from being under McDaniel's in Denver. He, you know, he's helped coach Peyton Manning, getting him used to acclimating systems, fitting him in there. You know, I know Belichick thinks a lot of him, and you know. say what you will about Adam Gase as a head coach. As an offensive coordinator, he has an excellent reputation around the league. He confounds defensive coordinators. He knows how to game plan effectively against different defenses. So he would be a plug-and-play guy. But if you're Belichick and you're 70 years old, do you really want to bring in a new guy who you're not all that familiar with, turn over the offense and your quarterback to him, or do you want to keep more control? And I think at the end of the day, check where he is in his career says I want to control things I don't want to bring in X factors I'm going to go with what I know Joe judge used to play he used to be a college quarterback uh, you know Matt Patricia knows how to call plays he knows how to organize a game plan yes on the other side of the ball but it's not all that different and I can I can fill the gas so I think that's ultimately what he decided to do no question he's playing with fire this year no question.
1: Greg Bedard, as we wrap it up. So, Greg, I look at this schedule, kind of an early gauntlet. At Miami, at Pittsburgh, Baltimore at home, at Green Bay. That's one of the most difficult schedules, three out of four on the road. But this team still has Detroit, Cleveland without Deshaun Watson, the Jets twice, Chicago doesn't look very good. So I can see if they can get through that gauntlet and maybe go 2-2 and in the first four games, other than the two games with Buffalo, they can navigate through this schedule. What is the optimism like from Patriot fans back there in New England that they can manage this schedule before they get to a spot where they can knock down some wins?
2: Yeah, it's, it, you make a good point because I was looking a little bit closer at the schedule today, and you know I agree with you. I mean, the first four, four games is a gauntlet. I mean, two and two I think is the best-case scenario mm-hmm. in my mind that they go. Even if they go one and three, you look at those next seven games, and you look at it and you're like, you know, even Indy is at home. Patriots will probably, they should be favored in all of those games. Yeah. If they can, if they go one and three and then seven, no, now they're eight, three. And then yes, they have a very tough close to the season, but you look at it and you're like, yeah, this guy, it was the same thing last year. They started one and three. They had a soft middle, middle, they got fat off of it, probably overrated off of it nationally and then crumbled down the stretch. It, really it's, with this team with the way they finished the last 3 years you just wonder what are they going to look like in december because they've crumbled the last 3 years down the stretch if they do that again you know who if they're 8 and 3 it doesn't really matter
1: Hey, Greg, you know, you talked about 20 years of covering the NFL. Those 20 years were pretty damn good in New England. I mean, when you think about the amount of wins, bye weeks, home bye weeks before playoff games, you know, the press conferences are always tough because Belichick makes it difficult and the Patriots don't give you much. But other than that, I mean, you just know all those victories for this franchise as they went from a victory and prepared for another one back-to-back. Back. I mean, those glory years, I don't think the fans are spoiled, but I'm noticing fans that I talk to are a little just a little more on edge, and they're a little bit more concerned about game-to-game than they were over the last 20 years, obviously.
2: Yeah, well, let's also point out that I did my time with the Miami Dolphins. Yes, um, Post Jimmy Johnson with Dave Wonstadt and Nick Saban and things like that, so I've seen my share of bad football as well, and then covering the Packers uh, too. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, look, there, there's a, in in my estimation, from you know dealing with members of my site, I mean, the Packers Patriots fans are sort of divided into there are those that are that believe that this is Bill Belichick is the same coach and they are the same team that they were during the glory days. There are others who are more realists who look at the last, you know, since they started 8-0 in Tom Brady's last season, they're 21-23, you know, including, you know, not really being competitive in playoff losses. And they haven't won, as Kraft pointed out, they haven't won a playoff game in three years. Um, you know, who, what you think of the Patriots, how you choose to, to, to view them is, you know, is sort of the prism that you're looking through. And I think, I think it's split. I would say more people are still hanging on to Matt Jones could be the next Brady and they can revive this thing. Mm -hmm. But considering 21 and 23 and the choices made on the coaching staff this year, I think if you're a realist, you're, you're very much decided into, I need to see how this
1: looks. I didn't have them as a playoff team last year, and they surprised me that win at Buffalo in the snow where they didn't throw it and they you know what they did running the football and how they went from team to team and game plan to game plan. I gave Josh McDaniels a lot of that credit being a part of that organization. He's not there now. I just think they're gonna to have to coach much better and they're gonna to have to survive as we talked about that early gauntlet. And I think they're a borderline playoff team. A lot of good things are gonna to have to happen as you perfectly said, Greg, in the middle of that schedule for them to be in the hunt for the playoffs late in the year.
2: Yeah, no, no question. They're going to have to get fat off the middle. And I think, you know, I have all the respect in the world for Josh McDaniels. I think when people look back at it and you see what the offense does this year, people have to remember, rookie quarterback, not a whole lot of skilled players. There was no Devontae Parker here last year. A lot of guys just brought in for the first year, Hunter Henry, Johnny Smith, Kendrick Bourne, those guys, Nelson Aguilar. They were sixth in points, and they were third in the league in combined runs and pass explosive place. I mean, you know, that's a pretty good year with that group, with a rookie quarterback and a bunch of new guys. And that's sort of what Matt Patricia and Joe Judge and Bill Belichick are fighting against this year. I mean, they should be able to take another step. There's no, there's no excuse for them not to take another step. And if they don't, it's going to be because of the decisions that Belichick made with the coaching staff.
1: Always a pleasure, Greg. Great to talk to you. I really value your insight and your opinions. Thanks so much for doing this. No problem. I'm excited to see the Raiders next week. That'll be fun. You got it. Greg Bedard. There he is. uh, Covers the Patriots at a very high level. He's a very good insider. And those fights, he said, doing this 20 years, those are the best fights he's ever seen in camp. And he's coming out here. So I look forward to seeing him at practice next week. The days of practice next week here in Vegas are going to be the most important of the year. Most important the preseason, excuse me, before. And one real quick, Bobby, one other point I wanted to make, which I think is very important, is that They are identical to the Raiders with schedule. He talked about the gauntlet that the Patriots have. The Raiders have a gauntlet. Their first five games at L.A., Arizona, at Tennessee, Denver, at Kansas City. OMG. Bye week. And then maybe the Raiders can feast on the middle of the schedule like the Patriots. After the bye week, the Raiders have Houston at home, at New Orleans, at Jacksonville, Indy at home, at Denver, at Seattle, before they play Los Angeles, the Chargers, to kick off December. I can tell you this much, if you got the Raiders making the playoffs, they better win a lot of games coming off the bye week because that's the part of the schedule where they really have to make their hay and go on a run. All right, coming up next, looking forward to this interview, we're going to talk to a gentleman, Austin Mock, and his title, let me get this all straightened out, NFL Sports Betting Analyst for The Athletic, and he has a very interesting column that includes the Raiders in the AFC West. If you wonder where the Raiders will be, season win totals, and how they can win the division, you do not want to miss this interview. Brought to you by Grimaldi's, the best beach I ever had, five locations in the Valley. I need to win it. I need to to win it. But uh, uh, I'll be candid with you. Uh, There's degrees.
0: Uh, I want to be fair to everybody concerned. Uh, We need to uh, uh, be in the
1: playoffs. We need to be viable in the playoffs to be a successful season. There he is, Jerry Jones, demanding the playoffs. That's about as demanding as it could be. JT, back with you. Brought to you by our good friends at M Resort Spawn Casino. Head on out to the official team hotel of the Silver and Black to watch the Miami game at the Raiders Tavern and Grill. So today I opened up The Athletic as a subscriber, and Austin Mock had a column, AFC West Projections. Chiefs favored, but Chargers, Broncos, Raiders in the mix Really good and well-written, and I wanted to have him on. So, Austin, thanks for doing this. And you open it up as the Division of Death. So let's go with this division. And what jumps out at you before we get really into this overall with the strength of schedule and what we see with the power structure of the AFC West?
0: Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, Yeah, Division of Death is – I can't really word it any better. Um, The Raiders are my, like, least uh, rated team. And they're about an average slightly above average team in the NFL. Uh, but I have all three of the other teams rated ahead of them. You know We're looking at one of those uh, situations where if the Raiders were in a, a different division or if the Broncos were, you could be talking about you know hunting for a division crown or, or, or an easy second place finish. but they're the bottom dwellers in this division because you have four, I would say good quarterbacks in this division, not many divisions year after year in the NFL. Uh, have that. So this division should just be an absolute bloodbath throughout the whole season.
1: So you're using your NFL projection model of simulating the NFL season 100,000 times. So let's start off with Kansas City. You have their odds to make the playoffs at 77.3. Their odds to win the AFC West at the highest at 44.1. What are they doing right and what could go wrong?
0: I mean, he's Kind of what are they doing right, Patrick Mahomes? Uh, you know the easy answer, but um, I think they replaced Tyreek Hill in a in a, a as good a way as you could by getting Smith Smith Schuster, um, and, and you know they drafted Sky Moore, who could be an interesting piece for them uh, as a rookie. Uh, but you know, solid offensive line, they have weapons. Travis Kelsey's still there, uh, and when you have Mahomes, you know you're 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 at the you know you have a, a baseline of. How bad can things really go? Uh, But really, it's the defense. That's been their downfall really since Mahomes has taken over as the starter there. Um, Their defense has really never been average or above average. Um, We saw that last year, the Bills game. uh, You know, I think it was what 36 points in that one. Years prior, it's been uh, big point totals in the playoffs. If if they can't find a consistent pass rush, um, you know, they drafted George Karloftis. Uh, We'll see how that goes. But uh, Chris Jones is really their only good pass rusher right now. But If they can't get the pass rush, and and, and with the quarterbacks in this division, it's the common theme, um, you could be giving up big point totals. And Patrick Mahomes against this too high, not blitzing him, wasn't as efficient last year. Maybe he makes an adjustment, maybe he doesn't. I don't know. But uh, you don't want to be playing, you know, we have to score 35 points every every game.
1: That's not a way to win in the NFL. Austin Mock is our guest from The Athletic. All right, so 44% chance for Kansas City to win the West. Now we go to your second pick, the Chargers. Their percentage, 27.1. Also, uh, Bet MGM odds to make the playoffs, minus 160 at 61.5%. Most people have the Chargers either winning of the d- division or winning the wild card, so I see that. Uh, They just signed their safety. They lock up a great player long-term here. So what could go right for the Chargers? What could go wrong?
0: You know, similar to the Chiefs, Justin Herbert takes another step forward. You know, he's still a young quarterback. Uh, It's not crazy to see someone uh, take a step forward in their third year. But uh, offense, they should be good. Right tackle is a little bit of a question mark for them. Uh, They could have some issues there, but Zion Johnson in the draft should solidify that offensive line. So, again, you're hitting a baseline with what should be one of the best offenses in the NFL, but the defense, they added some pieces, got Khalil Mack um, <clears throat> trying to, to boost that defense from last year. I think, you know, 27th in EPA uh, for play uh, as a defense last year. And we pretty much saw every game for them came down to, they just couldn't get a stop particularly on the ground. So they've made some uh, uh, hopeful adjustments there, some acquisitions. Uh, but again, in this division, you need to be able to get some stops. You're not going to be able to get, uh, you know, a lot of stops because of the quality of the offenses. But, you know, if Khalil Mack can can get healthy and kind of, you know, shape back in the form, you know, opposite of Joey Bosa, that could turn things around um, for them. So, It's the same thing. Offense is going to be good. Can the defense do enough for them to to really propel them to the best team of the division?
1: Austin, Mock joins us from The Athletic. Big column on the AFC West today. You want to make sure you subscribe and get it. So now you're going to get some pushback from me on the Broncos. Because the Broncos didn't make the playoffs last year. The Raiders beat them the last four times. You have them ahead of the Raiders here. We know about Russell Wilson, but they did lose some players to go get Russell Wilson. They got a new coach, too. So it's similar to the Raiders that we'll get to lastly. You have the odds of the Denver Broncos making the playoffs here or winning the AFC West at 19.9% and also the odds for them to make the playoffs. And I'm looking at this here. I mean, this Denver team's ahead of the Raiders. What did you see in your numbers, your analytics, to give you that projection? Yeah, it's really mostly uh,
0: the the quarterback play. I, I still grade Russell Wilson ahead of uh, Derek Carr, and mm. you know, Russell, you know, he has been, I guess, declining, if you will. I don't know if it, it kind of seemed like the the relationship in Seattle just wasn't going well. Uh, we've kind of seen people uh, in in years past. Okay, new new place, and, and you know, kind of play better. So. If if he's back and improves at all, I, I think he's for sure ahead of Carr uh, in terms of better quarterback. Uh, but really, the offensive line—I think Denver's off- offensive line is much better than the Raiders' uh, offensive line. That's my concern: mm-hmm. is if they can't keep Derek Carr upright. Uh, you know, it's one of again one of those things where like you're gonna have to score in this division. I know they play other teams, uh, but it, it, it's, it's, if they can't keep him upright, it, it gets really, really tough to, to, to score. And one thing that I think is being, you know, kind of forgotten is, is the Ra- Raiders have to play a, a second place schedule, um, mm-hmm. whereas the, the Broncos do get to play the fourth place schedule. So that's factoring in as well. Uh, like on a neutral field, I have Denver slightly, slightly uh, better than the Raiders. It's not anything significant, uh, but I think the schedule is enough to give it a boost. Uh, and, and that big factor of the difference is, is Russell
1: Wilson. So finally, you kind of said everything I wanted to ask you on the Raiders. You have the Raiders at 8.9% to make the playoffs. So again, to review, Austin Mock joining us. A great job that he does at The Athletic. You have Kansas City at 44.1%, the Chargers at 27.1%, Denver 199 and the Raiders at 8.9% to win the division here. So... When I look at all of this, can you at least suggest that there could be three teams that can make the playoffs, so you got a division winner or two wild cards, or is that just really being hopeful for the AFC West with a division winner and maybe one wild card? How do you see it?
0: Yeah, it's tough, um, because it was kind of similar last year, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The the Chargers got the nine wins. I think there were three teams in the AFC that got the nine wins and and didn't make the playoffs. Um, but. It's just tough because they're going to kind of beat up on each other. Like, I could really see nobody going, like, 5-1 and one in the division. Um, you know, 4-2 and two is obviously pretty likely from someone. But I, I'd be kind of shocked if anybody went, like, 1-5 either. So I, I think it's one of those things where you're kind of just beating up on each other. Whereas it's going to see, like, Tennessee and Indianapolis, you know, with, with Jacksonville not quite ready to take next step and, uh, you know, Houston being just bad this year. They're just going to benefit from not having having losses because of the division. So uh, for Raiders and Broncos, like, it's just you got to hope you, you steal a win or two early. And you in this division, you cannot drop a game to a bad team. Like, that is just something that is not any of the teams, any four of them. If you drop, team, drop a game to a bad team, it's, it's really going to hurt you in
1: the long run. <clears throat> Thanks, Austin. I wanted to have you on. You know, part of my prep every day is to read columns like this. This one jumped out at me. I know you put a lot of work into it. I appreciate it. We'll catch up with you during the season. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You got it. Austin Mock. Austin Mock, who has the Raiders' chance to make the playoffs, not very good. And that's the column at The Athletic today. So Kansas City, look, I agree with Kansas City and the Chargers. I don't agree with Denver. I don't think that Denver should be ahead of the Raiders in any poll, any mock of anything. I think the Raiders should be the third team there. The buy-in to Denver bothers me, more so than the Chargers and clearly Kansas City. It's been tough for the Raiders to be. We're going to go to Miami and the Big O. Great sports talk host uh, next as we preview the Dolphins and the Raiders coming up.
2: Nah, I believe this or not, man. You know in the NFL they only give you like two to three years to be a successful quarterback, especially if you're a first round draft pick. And if you if you don't succeed after those years, then it's kick rocks, man. So basically they don't put two into that. You know I feel
1: like so it's it's basically his last year, man, just to show people what, what he got. One of the best sound bites this offseason. JT back with you as we go out to South Florida, the Big O. Orlando Gary, great friend of mine, great rock and roll fan, and he's kind enough to join us as the Raiders head on out to Miami. Big O, what's the Raider Nation in store for? How good are the Dolphins this preseason?
3: Um, I like what I'm seeing a lot because there's a lot of rhyme and reason to the offense now. There was none. Uh, Brian Flores um, failed to build an offensive staff. He, he, he just could not. He was incapable of uh, building an offensive staff, uh, just to give you a, um, you know, just to kind of shed light. Uh, You had last year a second-year quarterback behind four young offensive linemen that were either rookies or into their second year with a journeyman at right tackle, which was his blind side. They were coached by an offensive line coach who's never coached uh, the offensive line in the NFL, never had his own offensive line they were coached by three offensive coordinators that had to discuss each play for 40 seconds before they handed it off to Tua because they didn't have one offensive coordinator. They had three. Uh, they had, they Their quarterback's coach was never a quarterback's coach at college or in the NFL. He just uh, worked with Tua, Charlie Fry, and seven-on-sevens, fresh out of high school. Um, that I'm front of Tua and that line that you expected that inexperience from top to bottom to succeed, and it was impossible. In comes Frank, who knows offensive line and center. In comes Matt Applebaum. In comes Mike McDaniel. You know, Wes Welker. You go up and down that entire staff. They had Sam Madison. They had Pat Sertan. They had a whole bunch of uh, terrific coaches overall and on the offensive side it's just a masterful job of what they're doing right now and so it looks now there was play call play design was just terrible last year there was no rhyme or reason that's because you had people that had never done it before and so now it just looks like they're structured JT and then they added weapons. You know, hmm. last year, Flo wanted to get rid of experienced linemen, which made no sense when he sent Flowers out to Washington, which would have been better for ha- having him here last year. Now you look at what's going on. It's just a- an absolutely different thing. They add Tyreek. They add Cedric Wilson. They, they draft his new mm-hmm. kid looked really, really good overall. They added speed with Chase Edmonds, with Mostert. Uh, um, Sony Michelle will probably be like a short yardage guy, but the other two guys are just monsters. Alec Ingold, obviously, a solid Mm -hmm. fullback. Everybody knows him. So, you know, overall, I really like what they're doing right now. There's a lot of speed on the field. I don't know. Put it this way. Waddle caught over 100 balls last year. Everybody knew the ball was going to Waddle, yet And Tua, everybody knew Tua was throwing to Waddle, yet you couldn't stop that. Imagine now you're going to add Tyreek, you're going to add the Cedric Wilson kid, who is going to, I think, shock a lot of people because he's a big um, slot guy, and you'll have Waddle on the outside. I don't know how secondaries are going to be able to stay with Tyreek and Waddle on each side. The deep safety is going to have to make a very quick commitment, and after that, it's field day, I think. Uh, for Tua overall. So I really like what's going on. I'm not one of the uh, Tua disbelievers. I am a Tua believer. Uh, So for me, I'm an old man, dude. I'm about to be 56 (laughs) October 1st, okay? I've seen the Fran Tarkentons. I've seen the Drew Breeses of the world, Joe Montana, uh, Chad Pennington early on, fresh out of Marshall. I've watched plenty of quarterbacks who didn't have cannons, go out there and succeed. If you have intelligence, if you have anticipatory skills, if you have ball placement, you will succeed in this league forever. Ken Stabler did not have a gun, but he was money as hell. And that's all that mattered. And so there were certain guys that just, you look at it over time, I'm not one of those guys. Fran Tarkenton didn't have a big arm, and he had a ton of success. Right. I've watched, I've watched this quarterback. The key to this quarterback is always protecting him and giving him a running game. Why? Because they can't stand there in the pocket like Ben Roethlisberger with two guys draped over him and throw it fifty yards. That's not the, that's not him. That wasn't Joe Montana either, by the way. Yep. And so that wasn't Drew Brees either. And so that's how you got to handle this situation. He's a really smart kid, man. Uh, really accurate quarterback. Um, I think he's going to have success now because now he has structure, okay? Now, you won't see much of that on Saturday, by the way.
1: No, you're not gonna see you're not gonna see much here from Vegas either, other than the fact that the Raiders have to get their offensive line going with Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, Renfro. You can imagine what we think out here in Vegas with Derek Carr and that offense, Josh Jacobs, they could be explosive, exactly. but they gotta protect them. Big O joins us, great sports talk host, arguably the biggest in South Florida, as the Raiders are in Miami coming up this weekend. So the perception here of having a new coach and a new coaching staff. And it's a quirky coach. The press conferences are amazing. I try to catch yeah. the memes and all of that. What is this like seeing a coach come over from the Kyle Shanahan mold and even before that who has a little bit of a personality And the media is trying to figure him out?
3: You know, it reminds me a lot of Jimmy Johnson and Pat Riley in this sense. He's, he's nothing like those guys in the hard-ass approach because mm-hmm. I covered both of them. But those guys, as tough as they were on us, and they were tough. Okay, they could come in sometimes raging, but they knew how to use us. They knew how to get their message out to their players. They knew how to leave meat on the bone. You know, uh, Flo did not understand that, and he was kind of very ogre, kind of caveman, kind of. You know, I can tell you from from a fact they told him when they hired him early on: "You're going to be, you're not going to be Belichick," right? Because they were worried that he was going to be what McDaniel turned out to be, what, what, uh, what Patricia turned out to be, and, and it's happened over and over every time somebody falls from that tree, and sure enough, he became that. And this guy really gets it, and he answers everything with intelligence, with charisma, with humor. And, he, and, and what he does is what Riley used to do in other ways. He disarms you right away. He finds a way to communicate with you and then disarms you. I remember when something happened in a heat game, and you know Riley probably made a bad call or something happened or whatever. Riley already knew where we were going to come from. So he would come into the press conference right away, and he'd disarm you right away by taking all the heat, lying right on the sword. Boom. You can't do anything after that. Like, how do you follow up after he came in? And, yeah, that was my fault. I did this. I put them in the bathroom, blah, blah, blah. and you're done. Mm-hmm. And he does the same thing. He answers everything with patience, with intelligence, where, you know. And, and I, listen, again, this is all – I've been through this over and over again. Until we get to the meat of the matter, until, as they say, the bullets are flying – and you're trailing by 10 points early in the fourth quarter, and can you overcome, and can you make it happen? And did did you turn the quarterback into a quarterback? Did you turn the offense into an offense? You know, we all know that you're going to prove yourself during the season. But for now, what he's done, the way he's handled everything, the way he communicates with people, he finds ways. He had a player in the draft who was like in the 90s rap, and so he just started with him on '90s rap, mm-hmm. and they just started to communicate through '90s rap. And then boom, and then he led into football. And he's that dude that finds the bridge to connect with you, and then he then you know communicates. Um, wow. I like what I see. The approach is, is very and, and and JT. You and I we're we're from a we're from a, a whole different cloth that was cut out. We're old school. We can live with the teachers that screamed at us. We can live with our parents. And we we, we grew up just fine. This society is not like that. And kids are different. Young people are different. You're going to have to communicate differently with people, not just with people, not just with your players. The media members, the younger media members that I see nowadays. So he's really smart and understands the different
1: generations. Hey, lastly, we'll talk to the Big O in Miami, legendary sports talk host, great friend of the show, great rock and roller. And we'll get to that before I get out of here. It's a good day for Steven Ross because of his suspension. He's suspended for the the conduct and what was happening down there with this franchise. But Deshaun Watson comes in today with 11 games, $5 million, and nobody – I mean, nobody is talking about Stephen Ross and the Flores lawsuit and all that. We're focused on Deshaun Watson. What is the media coverage like with the owner now during this suspension? Not many teams have to deal with an owner that's suspended for a while. How's that playing out in Miami?
3: It's I, I, everybody's just pissed because you know this is the guy that was you know brought on orange carpet and. You know, J-Lo and, and and Serena's owners and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Fluff, you know, and it's like, dude, we're we're from the Don Shula era. We want to win. We don't care about this. And he celebrated the Gators when his tenant is the Canes. Uh, he's done a lot of stupid things over the years. He went to go get Harbaugh in the middle of the night while he had Sperano. This is why he has no credibility in this part of, of all of this. He means well. Because he spends money, JT. I mean, he has done wonders with that stadium. It's beautiful to go to a concert to that place or, or a game. He built a brand-new practice facility. He saved the tennis tournament, which is like considered the, the fifth major in the world. He brought an F1. f I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the guy spends money, dude. He will do whatever, and that's the thing. He will do whatever it takes, and even, you know, and, and Bruce Beal, the other guy that was going to take over, is the guy that was buddies with with Brady, so he's not going to take over anymore. It, it's just a disgrace because I, I believe Chris Greer has done a marvelous job, and and the only thing that's happened with Chris Greer is that everybody else has tried to undermine him. And Marvin Allen, Reggie McKenzie, and Chris Greer, I think, are one of the best front offices mm-hmm. in the NFL, and they're going to prove it as time goes on. And they were a mess while they were building this team, having great fo- tr- uh, uh, cap cap flexibility. They had multiple picks down the line, extra picks to play with, and now they lost two of them because you had two idiots that thought that they could be general managers. And then, you know, they hired Brian Flores. And I want to remind everybody out there, these are three black men that hired another black man, okay, which they also have a minority at quarterback. Nobody wanted Brian Flores to succeed more than those three men it killed them that they had to fire that guy. And now they had to move on. Why? Because Brian Flores towards the end was already backstabbing Chris Greer and everybody else because he wanted to take over in personnel. So he was backstabbing the people that brought him in. And so everybody has undermined Chris Greer the entire time when all you had to do is let him go. Do you realize this guy in the last four or five years now, he's drafted Minka Fitzpatrick and Javon Holland two of the best young safeties in the nfl this guy knows how to draft man this guy knows how to build a team he's done a really good job overall with a lot of chaos in front of him if you leave the chaos away from chris Greer and Tua, i think everything will work out that's the problem here there's too many roadblocks the roadblocks have got to end gotta let the football people do their jobs
1: Big O, last show I saw, The Stones in Liverpool, Home of the Beatles. Mick canceled on me in Amsterdam. That's a podcast for us. What was the last concert you've seen or the next big one you're going to? Well,
3: the next uh, big one, God, next, uh, well, I'm going uh, to Iron Maiden in October. I'm going to see... Uh, next month, man, I've got, God, you know, now, now you've got me and That's I've got right. like five concerts next month. <laughs> oh, I'm going to see Allison Chains on my birthday on, on October 1st. Um, God, what else? Uh, I've got a bunch of concerts that I'm forgetting Anthrax last week. Um, oh well, man,
1: Bobby's it's... loving it. Bobby who runs my show is just putting his hands up.
3: He's excited yeah. about that. Yeah, I woman. got Greta Van Fleet twice in October. I got the Reverend Horton also in October. I'm trying to remember. I got, a, a, a oh, The Fix also in, in, uh, in September. Uh, I got a bunch of concerts coming up, man. My life is crazy. But, you know, sports and rock and roll, baby. Is there a better mix?
1: You're the best. I'll see you soon. Thanks a lot for doing this today. Much love. Be good. You got it. The big O. Orlando Alzel Biggest show in Miami. And he's a rock guy, and he's a dolphin guy. And you hear what he said there about the owner? They want the Don Shula winning. They don't care about J-Lo and Serena. Okay, they have F1, they have a great stadium, and he buys into Tua and Mike McDaniel. Mike McDaniel's fun as a head coach to watch, he is. Those press conferences, I catch him on Twitter, and he's having fun. And the way he walks in and opens up those press conferences are incredible. And uh, we'll see what happens this weekend. Not, not a lot of people expected much in this game. If Tua plays, I hope Tua plays. And he doesn't seem like he is, but I think he gets in there for a series of two, and I don't expect much from the Raiders. Hold on a second here, Bobby. Also, I've been monitoring this. Deshaun Reed reporting, and the Raiders put out five minutes ago that they have signed free agent defensive end Jordan Jenkins, which I think is a good pickup. Deshaun Reed says Raiders make Jensen signing official while releasing Young. Darian Butler and Luke Masterson seem like the main two guys jockeying for the fourth linebacker spot, behind Perriman, Brown, and Diablo. 0 oh, to Donaldson.
0: Swung on, hit in the air to right, toward the line. That ball is gonna be gone!
3: It's a grand slam! A walk-off grand slam
0: to win the game. Josh Donaldson powered one down the right field line into the seats. It's a grand slam. That's Josh by gosh. And doing it with a nosh. A grand slam and the Yankees get a win. Oh, do they need that win. Wow. They give up three runs in the top of the 10th. Uh, He has three run double, and filled the bases in the bottom of the 10th, and Donaldson hits a grand slam to win the ball game, wow.
1: I needed that last night, Cranky Yankee. Yankees gave me that win last night, made my night. I've been freaking out. They've been in the tank, and they win that game. Uh, More on baseball coming up here next week. We're getting closer, so this is how it works for us the rest of the way. All of our insiders, we're holding back. We're waiting for week one, and then we'll put them in a uh, two-week grid block, and they'll be on every two weeks in different day parts. We're excited about that. The Raiders are going to get us a great opportunity to talk to alumni like we do, the biggest names in Raider history. We'll get the coach, and we'll get a couple of players, and we'll just pound through the season. So that's how it looks for us here. Thanks to all of our guests, the Big O, Orlando Auzelgari, Greg Bedard, who covers the Patriots, was a lot of fun, and then Austin, who came on, who talked about the AFC West, Austin Mock, who gave the Raiders an 8.9% chance to win the West, Denver 19.9, the Chargers 27.1, and Kansas City 44%. That's what they're doing. Not giving you much of a chance, Raider Nation. I am. I think this is a better team than last year, and the Raiders won 10 games. But they got to navigate that schedule and stay healthy. And good to see so many good players coming back. And Dave Ziegler is not done. Dave Ziegler is not done. I think the Raiders are going to get a recognizable player coming up here pretty quickly. Q's on deck. We'll be back tomorrow. Have a great night, everyone.